Hey, Not Past It listeners. This week, we've got a special episode for you from our friends over at Every Little Thing. Every week, host Flora Lichtman answers your burning questions about, well, every little thing. And in this episode, she dives into the origins of cheerleading. Where did all that rah rah sis boom ba start? And who gets to define what cheerleading really is? It's a wild ride through cheer camps and pom-poms, but also individualism and identity. If you are a hardcore Bring It On fan like me, this is the story for you. Not Past It will be back next week with a brand new episode. But until then, here's every little thing with Behind the Pom-Poms, Cheerleading's Checkered Past. P-O-D. C-A-S-T. Here's a podcast. Here's a podcast. Yeah! You have reached the Every Little Thing helpline. Give me a B. Give me an E. Give me an E. Give me a P. Hey, Flora. It's Jessica. My husband and I were talking earlier today around 420, and we were wondering, how did cheerleading start? It is a factual emergency. Thanks. Bye. Hello? Hey, it's Flora from Every Little Thing. Hey, Flora. Jessica, it's funny, a lot of listeners call us with questions they thought up around 420. <laughs> Looking for lasagna recipes, telling us our Eclipse episode lines up perfectly with The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> it's a good time to clear your mind, and uh, we were doing such, and I literally have no recollection of how the question was brought up, but I think I just, in true 420 fashion, spun around to my husband and said, hey, cheerleaders are weird. What do you mean? All of the cheers, all of the moves, the clothing, the social status, the pom-poms, you know, standing on top of each other, throwing people in the air, just the whole thing, if you look at it out of context, seems real strange. Did you have any firsthand experience with this strangeness? I was a cheerleader for a small period of my life as a kid. It was intense. If girls did their hair, it was ha- it had to be the same exact way, use the exact same products. Like if it was a certain scrunchie, it had to be the same color, it had to look the same. I mean, it was it was very conformed. <laughs> How about the cheers? You want to give me a cheer from your cheerleading days? Okay, so we were the Eagles, and for some reason, someone decided that we should say, whoop, whoop, clom, clom, which runs together if you're a Southerner, but that is literally claw them. (laughs) So we would just scream, whoop, whoop, clom, clom, and the entire crowd would do it. It was really strange. (laughs) Whoop, whoop, clom, clom. (laughs) It's like encouraging physical harm as well. You know, it's just the whole thing. (laughs) How did your cheerleading days come to an end? You know, uh, I wanted there to be more individualism, and there wasn't. But maybe there's something to that in the history of it. I don't know. There is. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. What do you want to know? I do need to know where it was started. Who jumped up first and said, like, you know, hey, give me an A. And, like, what did the first person say? Like, did they say, 
here's your A. You know, like, how strange was that? (laughs) I would like to know if it was always or started as female-led. I really need to know where pom-poms came from. Jessica, I'm going to give you an A. I'm going to give you an N. I'm going to give you a swear. What's that spell? And swear. Okay, actually, I'm not going to give you an answer, but Natalie Adams will. Hi, Jessica. Natalie is a professor at the University of Alabama and a former high school cheerleader. Yes, I was a cheerleader back in the day when you had to have no talent whatsoever. I could do a cartwheel in a split. What was the team? The Wildcats, the mighty Winsboro Wildcats. Do you remember any of the cheers? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we always ended the pep rally and the football game with two bits, four bits, six bits a dollar, all for the Wildcats, stand up and holler. Natalie has hollered on the field and in the field. She wrote the book on the history of cheerleading. I co-authored with one of my very dear friends a book called Cheerleader, an American Icon. We had a lot of fun writing this book. We drank a lot of wine and practiced cheerleading jumps on the back porch. I can see it. Do you ever do that? Um, I don't. I mean, I I drink a ton of wine. So you asked, how did cheerleading begin? Correct. How do you imagine the first cheerleader? I truly don't know why, but I picture a male, I don't know, like a group of guys like fighting over something, you know, and and it just kind of like turned into this, oh, get him, get him and do this and do that. And it it just, and it took off from there. When I say you're right-ish, you say... I'm right-ish. The first cheerleaders were all male. I'm so excited if that's right. So I want to send you a picture of the people involved in the first documented moment in cheerleading history. We'll also put it on Instagram at ELT Show. Dang. Okay, so we're talking like Abe Lincoln style. (laughs) Um, most of them have bow ties, and I really, truly think one of them has a cane. Abe Lincoln is actually not a bad reference because cheerleading seems to get going in 1869. There's a lot of folklore kind of um, surrounding cheerleading and its history, but most people agree that the kind of first cheer was actually at a game between Rutgers and Princeton. A group of residents broke out into this cheer, which was rah, 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 sis, 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 boom, boom, boom. (sighs) Should we do that? Like anytime there's like a good fact or something that you enjoy learning, should you do an? (sighs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. The cheer is called the Princeton Locomotive, and they're still doing it to this day. Oh my God. I feel like they could come up with something else. I mean, they're like really smart, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> In the early days, cheering wasn't that organized. It was just a bunch of dudes sis sis sissing on the sis sidelines. <laughs> there were cheers, but not cheerleaders. But that changed 30 years later. The person who's usually given the cred as being the first cheerleader um, was a a guy 
by the name of Johnny Campbell, and that was 1898 at the University of Minnesota. So, in the the story goes that Johnny Campbell was at a game. He was so overcome with team spirit and I don't know Minnesota grain alcohol (laughs) that he led the crowd in a cheer. This is how cheer got its leader, but he wouldn't be called that. He would have been called like the Rooter King, um, the Yale leader, uh, the Yale master, the Yale marshal. But no man is a Yale island. Pretty soon, Yale marshals form Yale platoons. Around 1905, 1910, you start seeing, you know, a squad. And it would be small, like four. Are we letting women in yet? No, still all men. Look just probably like what you would imagine at an Ivy League school. White dudes. Clean cut, athletic. Argyle sweaters, you know, maybe a pipe. Exactly. That really gets a crowd going, you know? (laughs) Well, if that doesn't get you going, maybe a cheer from the time will. It's sexy and math-based. Well, there is one from uh, Georgia Tech when Georgia Tech was all male They had a chair that said uh, differential Y, differential X, to hell with differentials, we want sex. I'm sorry, but who's going to say yes to that? (laughs) (laughs) Now imagine them yelling, we want sex, while bouncing on a trampoline. Trampoline. That was their prop of choice. One of the reasons why girls and young women weren't allowed is because that would have been very unseemly for a young woman to be bouncing off a trampoline and that cheerleading would make girls too masculine. Another concern (sighs) about women. (laughs) Did you just give me an ah? I did. I did. Come on. (laughs) Big point there. Another concern was that women's voices were too shrill to command a crowd. The frog-throated lassies. That's what they were called. Oh, no. (laughs) I feel like frog-throated lassies is the vocal fry troll of the 1930s. Yeah. But we know frog-throated lassies get on that trampoline eventually. What happens is during World War II, young men leave the college campuses and girls flock to cheerleading because there are positions there. And when the war ended, women held on to those positions because this was one of the few athletic opportunities for women at the time. They didn't want to leave, you know, very similar to women that got to work for the first time. They were like, "Mm -mm, I kind of like this. I don't want to leave. By the 1950s, the cheerleading gender dynamic has flipped. Cheerleading becomes very much feminized. High schools tended to be almost all girls. And these girls are putting their own twist on cheerleading. They make their own uniforms, create their own cheers. It's all very artisanal and locally sourced. All right. All right. Let me give you an example of a cheer from the time. Boom, chicka, boom. Boom, chicka, boom. Boom, chicka, boom. Boom, chicka, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Hee, hee, hee. Ha, ha, ha. Lobster, lobster. Rah, rah, rah. We're definitely in the Northeast here. Okay, so just compare lobster, lobster, rah, rah, rah to the cheers we have today, which all sort of sound the same. Like they could be coming from any school anywhere. Ready? Okay. S-U-C-C-E-S-S. That's the way we spell success. I do notice that we spell a lot more now. And when you played that, I, you know, had one of those, like, PTSD shivers. And I was like, oh, yeah. We always did the ready? Okay. And, like, one arm up in the air. It always started with that. 
Jessica, there's a reason why you always started with that and why we all know the same spelling cheers. It traces back to the 1950s and one CEO. Lawrence Herkimer was the father of cheerleading. There would not be cheerleading as we know it today had there not been Lawrence Herkimer. Didn't expect it to be a man. He had the right personality. Oh, yes. Sometimes people would laugh and call him Perky Herky. After the break, we're going to hear all about the person who turned jumping up and down and yelling into a gazillion-dollar empire. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Jessica, have you heard of a herky? I have. Like half of a split, one leg bent. Yes, it is a famous cheerleading jump. If you imagine a cheerleader doing a jump, it would be this one. I know about the herky. So the herky was named after the so-called father of cheerleading. It was his signature move and his nickname. Everybody called him herky. Somebody called him Lawrence. You kn- if they called on the phone and asked for Lawrence, you knew that uh, that's not somebody that really knew, knew him. <laughs> He'd probably somebody selling something. That's herky's sister-in-law, Barbara Hazelwood. He was married to my sister, Dorothy. When did you meet him? Oh, when I was a baby in the crib. <laughs> he he was around, and I was a, a flower girl in their wedding when I was five. Jessica, what do you want to know about Herky? Well, I would like to put a face to the name. All right, let me send you a picture. Okay, so <laughs> this guy has a lot of pep. For sure. Yeah, that's verified. Oh, yes. It was Perky Herky. Sometimes people would laugh and call him Perky Herky. That could not be any better. I know. He's in, like, white kids, white socks, white pants, white handkerchief, like, around his neck, (laughs) tight polo shirt. I just noticed all the women screaming below him. (laughs) Yes, he's, like, mid-Herky jump above five women, five white women, All dressed in white. All with, like, the same haircut. Yes. Yeah. They look like they're supposed to be doing mock horror, but they're doing real horror instead. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. So that was Herky in his heyday, but here's how he got his start. 
Herky was a cheerleader in high school and college. He loved it so much that after graduation, he kept going to cheerlead at football games. And at one game, he got so excited he did backflips all the way down the field. Someone took a picture, it ended up in a big national magazine, and that's when his phone started to ring. Well, he received a phone call from a Dr. Hackney down in Huntsville, Texas, at Sam Houston State Teachers College. And to, to get a phone call back in those days, well, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty serious. If somebody called you on long distance, wow, that was a big deal. So he called Herky to see if he would go down and train some of his cheerleaders. He was called in to bring some pep to this cheerleading squad. And after he did this training, the phone rang again and again and again. And then it just snowballed. All from the Black Phillips. <laughs> so Herky and his wife, Dorothy, saw a business opportunity and took it. They were, really were a team. They were almost like uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen. I mean, they were... You don't, you probably don't even know who they were. Oh, George, for me? Uh-huh. Oh, you're the sweetest husband in this whole house. I can see it. Herky could just light up a room, and Dorothy could, too. Herky and Dorothy get to work. They start with the cheer clinics and then expand the business into merchandise. We sold the cheerleader uniforms, the sweaters, and your shoes, the cheerleader shoes, necklaces, it used to be really popular to wear a little megaphone necklace around your neck to show that you're a cheerleader. But the pièce de résistance of their merchandise business was essentially a crumpled piece of paper that Herky patented. <gasps> the pom-pom. Give me a Y, give me an E, give me an S. Yes. <laughs> it's just a natural thing when you're jumping up and down, yelling and screaming for your team. You want something to shake. Herky created and patented the pom-pom. Yes. But technically, we're pronouncing it wrong. There's a whole possibly apocryphal story. He was doing a cheerleader clinic in Hawaii. And so he said to the girls, he said, okay, I want all you pom-pom girls to come over here, the P-O-M-P-O-M. And they all started kind of snickering and giggling. Well, he found out that in Hawaiian... (laughs) That was not a very nice girl. A pom-pom girl was not a very nice girl. What do you mean, not a very nice girl? Well, it was like a lady of ill repute was a pom-pom girl. No. (laughs) And I guess a stripper or something. I don't know, something. So they changed the name of it to pom-pom. With an N? With an N. P-O-M-P-O-N. I've been calling those cray paper shakers a girl of ill repute for the last... I don't know, 30 years of my life. (laughs) That didn't stick. But it is the official patented name. It's kind of amazing that they're still still around. Kind of a low-tech invention. Yes, yes, and they cost quite a bit. (laughs) I remember my parents not being sure if they could afford that attachment to my gear. They were just like, oh, you got to have these. You can't borrow with another girl, (laughs) you know? So Herky had the cheerleading world in the pom-pom of his hand. By the peak of the business, they were grossing millions a year and selling the majority of cheerleading uniforms and equipment bought in the U.S. But the biggest part of his business were cheerleading camps. Herky's cheerleading camps were offered throughout the country. At these camps, cheerleaders learned to give me an A, do a Herky jump, hold their arms in a tight, militaristic style. Through these camps, cheerleading got standardized. That makes sense. 
Our expert Natalie went to one of Herky's camps when she was a teenager. She had a good time. Oh, absolutely, because I come from a very small town, and we went by ourselves, and we were um, able to do things like smoke in the dorm room (laughs) and things like that. So, oh, absolutely. We look forward to it. But the camps didn't just teach teen smokers how to do basket tosses and pony mounts. They also taught teen smokers teen spirit. (laughs) So one of the most coveted uh, things that you can, well, it is the most coveted thing you can bring home from cheerleading camp is called the spirit stick. This was another herky invention. He was at a cheerleading camp in Redlands University in California, and there was a cheerleading squad that they weren't that good in terms of just cheer execution, but they were real enthusiastic. And so he went and broke off a, you know, a twig off of a tree and handed it to him and said, here's your spirit stick. You're the most spirited squad at, um, at this camp. And it then started becoming a tradition. Only a few teams got to bring it home. My, t- my team never brought it home. <laughs> You're too busy smoking cigarettes. Yeah, we were smoking cigarettes and drinking. (laughs) But it wasn't all fun and drinking games. There were also daily lectures at the camp to pump up the peppers. And this part is cray. Jessica, can you give me a Z? (laughs) Z. This part is crazy. One of the things that would happen at cheerleading camps is you were very much uh, made to understand that you were at the top of the social hierarchy at your high school if you were a cheerleader. So like we had a cheer that everybody would do and it was called C-H-E-E-R-L-E-A-D-E-R-S. Oh yes, and we are the best. And we would just all sing this about ourselves. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I need to start my morning that way. <laughs> it's very empowering. But um, yeah, so the idea that you were you were the the bomb at your high school. <laughs> That is crazy. You're right. Totally cray. You know, it's not like these girls just got this idea. Someone told them it was okay, and it was passed through generations. That's crazy. There's this great quote from Herky telling some people at a camp, um, when you become a cheerleader, you become an instant. Not an instant cup of coffee, an instant success. You become instantly popular, instantly imitated, an instant trendsetter. What you do, what you wear, how you act, what you are, everything about you will be carefully studied and carefully copied by all the other girls. It's fascinating because, I mean, it's like Herky helped create this idea that Mm -hmm. has oppressed a lot of high school students if you are not at the top of the food chain. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Being a cheerleader is being a lot of things, and they're all good things. Maybe that's why, at one time or another, we all want to be cheerleaders. It's crazy that it lasted this long. <laughs> and your insight was spot on. There is a strange uniformity to cheerleading. And that was by design, by Lawrence Herkimer's design. It was him. Herky jerky. <laughs> Herky jerky. <laughs> I hope we've made some space for you to contemplate other questions during your next 420 session. Why Garfield is weird. Right? He eats meatloaf. 
It's Why? lasagna. I think that's probably terrible. Oh, it's lasagna. <laughs> Still strange, though, Flora. I mean, I think that would be really detrimental to a cat. <laughs> All right. Will you give me a BYE? Give me a B. B. Give me a Y. Why? You were late. <laughs> Give me an E. <laughs> Bye. Listeners, there's a lot more to this cheerleading story that you should know about, which is why we will be back later this week with a second episode about the fallout from Herky's master plan. We'll hear about the lack of diversity in cheerleading and the struggle to change that. During the height of integrating the the schools, whenever schools were being desegregated, one of the hardest things to integrate were actually the cheerleading squads. That's on the next episode of ELT. If you have a question you cannot find the answer to, give us a call, 833-RING-ELT. That's 833-RING-ELT. Every Little Thing is produced by Aaron Reese, Phoebe Flanagan, Annette Heist, and Flora Lichtman, with help from Nicole Pasulka and Doug Barron. Our consulting editors are Caitlin Kenny and Jorge Just, mixed by Dara Hirsch, Scored by Dara Hirsch and Bobby Lord. Whoop, whoop, clom, clom. Ah, goodbye. <laughs>